0: invite you to take out your Bibles and open up to Mark chapter 6. I hope you brought your Bible. If you do not have one, you can find one on one of the seats in front of you. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, come see me after the worship service and I would love to give you a Bible. Uh, Before we start, um, I never told you all what to do with those connection cards um, that I ask you all to put your name on. Just leave them in your seat and we'll pick them up after the worship service. Um, also, we had a number of people um, last night or last minute um, who helped lead our youth discussion group um, said they could not be here this morning, so students are just going to be with us this morning through the sermon, and that will be awesome. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. Now he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him, and they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, and then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. We're in this message series uh, about living boldly for Christ. Um, And there is this point that is made clear at the end of the passage. Um, Being bold for Christ requires courage. Jesus said, take courage. And I thought that's kind of interesting because when you think about Attributes of Christians. In fact, if I were to ask you to write down on your note sheet uh, top three attributes that you expect Christians to show, what would you write down? You can do that. You just jot down top three attributes you think Christians should should have or show. Love, that might be at the top of your list. What else would you write? Top three things Christians should have or display. Joy, might go through the the fruits of the Holy Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Any of those, right? Gentleness, self-control. How many of you would have down as one of your top three courage? That Christians should show courage. This passage shows how critically important courage is. And I want to look at three things from this passage. Why courage is important. How does Jesus form this courage in us? And what is the true nature of the courage that Jesus wants us to have? That's what we're going to look at today. Um, Why is courage important for a Christian? Well, one might look at this story and say, "Well, it's pretty obvious, right? Because there's lots of storms in life, and we need courage." That's very true. Uh, storms is one of those metaphors for life. Tertullian, one of the one of the earliest church uh, theologians, um, pointed out this story of the disciples in the boat in the stormy sea, and said, "That's what life is like. It's like being in this boat, and there's storms all around us. And there are storms." Uh, but I think one of the, the most fascinating details of the story is how the disciples wound up in the storm in the first place. How did that happen? Well, you have to look at verse 45 and and notice this. Um, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. And that word for made, by the way, it's a very forceful word. Uh, he didn't lure them into the boat. He didn't you know, leave some cookies in there for them to, you know, follow after. Uh, That word means to force, to compel. Like, they didn't want to get in the boat, and he's like, get in the boat, get out on the lake. Uh, Why did he have to force them in the boat? Well, it could be that they were just really, really tired. Um, As we've walked through the sermon series, we've read many stories from Mark chapter 6 about Jesus sending out the disciples on this mission trip, going out to these different villages um, throughout Galilee. Galilee. With no provisions, they had to kind of find them on their own and rely on the hospitality of others. Uh, Last week, we read about the the story of feeding of the 5,000, where the disciples were with this huge crowd of people. Jesus had promised them rest, and lo and behold, they spend the day not resting, but with this crowd of 5,000 men, women, and children in, uh, in addition to that. All day long without food, and finally they get some food at the end of the day. And, and when Jesus was telling the disciples, get in the boat, they might be saying, ah, we don't want to. We just want to chill with you, Jesus. How about that? How about that for a good plan? No, I want you to get in the boat and go on ahead of me. Um, so here's one thing that we, we have to take from the story. It's an important point. It's this. Obedience can make you uncomfortable. Obedience to Jesus can make you uncomfortable. There's this nice little saying, and I bet you have heard it before in some form or fashion. And it goes something like, it's not in the Bible, but it, it, it sounds nice, and there's some, some truth to it. Uh, you have to think about it a little bit. But the, the saying is this, the safest place you can be is where? And, and this is where there's multiple variations. The safest place you can be is in the center of God's will. The safest place you can be is... With Jesus, or the safest place you can be is wherever Jesus wants you to be, or some you know some variation of that. Um, and it's not that that's not true, uh, but you have to define safe in a very particular way for that statement to be true. And if your definition of safe is easy, nothing threatening around you, then it doesn't really make sense when you look at this story, because Jesus sent the disciples where Jesus wanted the disciples to be was in the middle of a lake with a storm raging around them. Wind causing large waves, rocking the boat. The disciples were exhausted because they were obedient to Jesus and they got in the boat. Um... The disciples were right where Jesus wanted them to be. And yet they were very uncomfortable. Why was Jesus so insistent that they get into the boat? I'll tell you why he was. He had a plan for them. He has a big purpose for the disciples, and he is preparing them for that plan. Now, we need to look at uh, some of the time details in this story for us to help make sense of what Jesus is doing. Uh, Verse 47 Says later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. Now, a a more kind of a literal translation of that is in the evening. That's the word, the later that night, it's just just the word for the evening. So maybe 8 p.m., maybe 9 p.m., as late as 9 p.m., the disciples are in the middle of the lake. Jesus is sitting on the shore. And verse 48 tells us what Jesus saw as he sat on the shore. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So 8, 9 p.m. ish, they're out in the middle of the sea. It's raging, and they are straining at the oars. Shortly before dawn, second part of verse 48, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He left the disciples to be straining in the storm all night long <laughs> while he was watching. One thing this tells me is there is a fundamental difference that can exist between what we really want for ourselves and what God wants for us. Because one of the things that I want for myself so often is huh, easy. You know, for a while, I don't know if it's still true, for a while... Uh, the the, the best selling chair in America it was, a, it was a very plush, comfortable reclining chair. You had a little arm and you could pull it and you would recline in it. And that chair had a very memorable name. It has a memorable name, Lazy Boy. For a while, that was the number one selling chair in America. The Lazy Boy. Not the work at it hard boy, but the lazy boy um, have you ever at the end of the day just thought wow this this was one day where nothing was easy, everything was hard, going to school was hard, getting through school was hard, going to work was hard, getting through work was hard. Uh, people kept coming in and making demands of me or you know whatever couldn 't get along with people today' just fighting throughout the day. It's one of those days. Um, We want things easy, but I'm not sure that is Jesus' primary goal for us. As I look at him sending the disciples out into the storm, Uh, there's a guy named Francis Frangipan um, who teaches a lot about on prayer. He teaches about the story and says, Christ's goal is to perfect us, not merely to protect us. Jesus is doing a perfecting work in the disciples in the story. So he's getting them ready for a purpose, ready to send them out. Being a Christian is fundamentally, it's about representing Christ to the world. Going out and being Jesus' ambassador, being Jesus' representative. And that takes some courage doing that. You know Why? Because sacrificial love, showing that, that takes some courage. That means I'm laying something down. I'm giving something up so that I can show someone else love. It takes courage. Sharing my faith with someone, talking about Jesus, telling someone, yeah, I'm a person of faith, and I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe that Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus is the most important thing you can do in life. It's more important than your job, more important than your family. It's more important than making money. Being with Jesus is the most important thing that you can do in life. It takes courage to say that. Back in Jesus' day, and shortly thereafter, Christians, when they professed their faith, often they faced very significant persecution. We know that takes place around the world today. We need courage. How does Jesus give courage? Let's look at this next point. Jesus reveals who he is through storms. And this is ultimately how Jesus gives us courage. There's two things about the story I want to consider. One is the miracle itself. There I mean, there's some great miracles in the Bible. We just read about a great one last week where Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread, two fish. Um, that miracle is preceded, we read, by the statement that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. It's a miracle of compassion in one way. Um, the, the, the miracles of Jesus healing people and, and casting out demons and raising people back from the dead, the, they're miracles of compassion. He sees the blind and the lepers and he has compassion on them and he heals them. This miracle is a little different. I'd like to suggest that walking on water it wasn't a miracle of compassion. I mean, walking on water was this drop-your-jaw-rock-your-world kind of a moment for the disciples. Like, there's no other explanation for this happening, walking on water, than it's the baddest dude on the planet right here. He can walk on water. It's it's one of those miracles. And and I think that's because it's so just astounding. I think that's why there's so many kind of silly uh, theories of how this may have really gone down. Like, like maybe the wind... Swept the water away, and Jesus was walking on something, some ground underneath the lake or something like that. Uh, Pierre Mata, right before the worship service, told me a joke. Don't do that right before the worship service, telling the pastor a joke. Pierre Mata told me this joke. I'll tell it to you. It's a great joke. There's a Pentecostal preacher, a Baptist preacher, in a CRC, Christian Reformed Church, that's our denomination, uh, pastor, that's me, right? And they went out fishing one day, went to the lake, went to go fishing, and they were fishing all day, went to have some fun, and the Pentecostal preacher said, hey, let's go walk on the water. And so he just trotted right out on the lake, walked on water, turned around, came back. The Baptist preacher, he walks out on the lake, walks on the water, turns around, comes back in. The CRC pastor, he starts walking on the water and just sinks right down. Tries to do it again, walk on the water, sh- sinks right down. Pentecostal and the Baptist preachers look at one another and say, you think we should tell them where the rocks are? <laughs> so is Jesus just ro- walking on the rocks, you know, the hidden rocks underneath the the, the water? Uh, one of the theories uh, suggested by a, a scientist was that there, there's, you know, they did studies, there's a once in every 1,000 year kind of condition uh, that, that can happen, where the atmosphere is just right, the conditions are just right, and ice can form on, I guess, water of the Sea of Galilee. Um, not a really polar climate, the Sea of Galilee uh, is. And then Jesus was surfing on a sheet of ice. Um, and and that, by its, I mean, that by itself is a pretty cool act. I don't know what is more impressive, walking on the water or seeing Jesus surf on ice in these stormy waves. Because I've walked on ice and. You know, it's it's not good. It's not good. Anyway, all these silly explanations of how this could have happened. uh, Listen, uh, this story is in the Bible because Mark interviewed the disciples. Tell me about that time when Jesus came out to you while you were in the boat. Oh, yeah, he was walking on the water. The disciples said. They could tell there wasn't any ice in the lake. There weren't hidden rocks. He was walking on the water. He was he was suspending the laws of physics, and you don't get to do that unless you are God. Jesus was showing this clearly to his disciples. That's the first thing to consider, just the nature of this miracle, how astounding it was. The second thing to consider is where Jesus was walking. So pay attention to verse 48. He went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. Literally, it says his intent or his desire was to pass them by. All right, you can't make this stuff up, right? If you're you're trying to make up a story, to try to persuade people to uh, you know to love Jesus to believe in Jesus, you know make up this nice story about Jesus so people will love him you don 't include oh yeah, and the disciples were floundering all night against this this wavy stormy sea, and Jesus walked out to them in the water, but really his intent was just to keep on walking and pass them by you don 't leave that make put that that detail in there do you I mean so what is going on? Why was Jesus wanting to pass them by? Well, In the Old Testament, uh, when God passed by, people could not see God directly without dying. Uh, Moses wanted to see God. God, show me your glory. God says, well, I uh, can't do that. Put you in the rock. Let my goodness pass you by, and that's, that's what you get. Elijah, when God passed by him, similar scene in the mountains, God passed by, and all Elijah sensed. couldn't see anything, he just sensed a gentle whisper. There's this passage in Job, Job chapter 9, verses 8 and 11, um, and, and Job is, is, is talking about God. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Job does not get to see God when he passes by. But now, Jesus is walking on the water. He's passing by the disciples, and the disciples see him. They see him directly. They cry out in fear, and Jesus actually stops from where he was going and turns. And gets in the boat with the disciples. So my friends, Jesus is bringing a new day for you. When you are going through a storm, when you are afraid, when you call out to Jesus, you can know that he doesn't just keep walking by. But he comes and gets in the boat with you. Jesus reveals himself in the storms. He's almighty God, the one who can suspend the laws of physics. And he is with you through the storm. So finally, let's think about the nature of courage that Jesus gives to us. Uh, look at verse 50. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, the disciples, and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And what Jesus really says, I have to tell you what he really says. He says, take courage, I am. Fear not. So why is it so significant that Jesus says, I am? You might remember back in Exodus chapter 3, when God is sending Moses to lead his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, escaping from mighty Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And Moses is a little worried about this and says, "Well, God, if the Israelites tell me, who sent you to do this? What is his name? What should I tell them?" And this is what Moses this is what God says to Moses, Exodus 3:14. God said to Moses, "I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. That's my name, I am." And in this story, Jesus walking out on the water, he says to the disciples, I am. It's me. It's me. The reason this is vital for the disciples is because in order for them to carry out their purpose, their divine purpose, their mission, they need to know who is the true commander in their life. Who is their true commander? Jesus says, I am. So in the end, the story is not about Jesus always rescuing rescuing us from the storms in life. That's not what the story is primarily about. About Jesus preparing us for the mission that he has for us. Now, it is true that Jesus saves us from storms. If you are going through a storm right now, can you look at this passage and say, Jesus rescues us. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. He's with me in the boat. Can you say that? Yes, you can. But that's not primarily what the story is about the storm you are in maybe is giving you a strong courageous heart for your divine purpose and the disciples needed courageous hearts look at look at how the story ends verse 52 just a surprising verse they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves their hearts were hardened their hearts were hardened it says the disciples had hardened hearts this does not mean that they just couldn't understand who Jesus was. It wasn't like they, their, their thought processes were insufficient. I mean, of course they couldn't really understand who Jesus, who Jesus was at the time. I mean, he, he, this story is about God in human flesh walking on the water. That's not the easiest thing for us to understand, right? I would say that nuclear physics is easier to understand than God taking human form and walking on the water. It says their hearts were hardened. Not that their minds were dull. Their hearts were hardened. The reason that people refuse to believe. It's rarely because they have dulled minds. It's because they have hardened hearts. It's because they are afraid. It's rarely because of insufficient evidence that someone says, Oh, I can't believe. The disciples had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 men and women and children from five loaves and two fish, where everyone wound up with plenty of food and there was food left over. There's your evidence, but they still don't believe. They didn't understand that the miracle about the feeding of the 5,000 with the, the loaves and the fish. Uh, they didn't understand um, what that miracle was all about. Their takeaway from that is, ah, Jesus wants to make sure that we are comfortable and have food in our bellies. And that is <laughs> that's not what that miracle was about. They did not understand that that miracle was about Jesus being the very bread of life for us. The bread of life. We live to the extent that we have Jesus in us and are feeding on Jesus. Jesus is showing us that our life is supposed to be all about him and not the other way around. And so Jesus sends the disciples out onto the storm, the stormy sea, where there is plenty to be afraid of, let's, let's note that, and the disciples show that he is Lord over the storm, he's Lord over the waves, he's Lord over the dark night that they were going through, he's Lord over everything that there was to be afraid of for the disciples. Jesus is showing he has full mastery over any threat in your life. Drowning in a turbulent sea was a threat to Jesus, but... It's no match for him because he simply walks over those turbulent waves. He's master. He shows this to his disciples. And don't you see when Jesus says, take courage, I am, don't be afraid. He's he's revealing to the disciples they can really trust him when he says that, that they can really do that, that they can really lay down their fears because the true master is with them. So I want us to see the the true nature of courage, and it's this. Fear in God gives you courage in life. We can be afraid for our comfort in life. We can be afraid that things work out the way that we want them to. And then we can start setting expectations on Jesus. Jesus, why am I going through the storm? Don't you know I shouldn't be going through the storm? I just went through a storm last month. I don't need another storm, Jesus. Jesus. It's not how life's supposed to be. Don't you know that, Jesus? Come on. And then Jesus says, let me remind you who the true commander is. I am. And when you put Jesus in the right place, when you fear God, when you put Jesus in the right place as the true commander, then you can have courage to do the things that Jesus has for you to do, to live for his kingdom, to to practice that sacrificial love, to share your faith, to to go out and, and live for Christ and do the things that are intimidating and require courage. So the courage that Jesus gives us is not the absence from all fear. There is one fear that it begins with, the fear of God. And knowing that Jesus is the true commander of your life. A lot of people want to get up close and personal with Jesus, and the story says you can, and, and, you know, I'm thankful for that. I want to get up close and personal to Jesus. Through Jesus, we can draw near to God and, and let us not miss out that, yeah, Job couldn't experience that. Moses, Elijah, they couldn't do that. But Jesus allows us to draw up close and personal to God but know this, when we draw close to Jesus, he is Lord. He is commander, and he has a mission for you. And his mission for you, his mission for Hope Church, is to go out and rescue people living in darkness who are going through storms of their own. Get them in the boat. Throughout the centuries, God has been filling Christians with courage. One of the early symbols of the church was a boat going through a stormy sea. You see that in in ancient, not ancient, but but historic uh, church artwork. The church is represented as a boat going through a stormy sea. That's why sanctuaries, uh, this one to some degree, and and you know churches where this is even more true, where, look, the inside of the sanctuary, it's made, made to look like the inside of a boat. Um, if you've been around church for a while, you may be familiar with one of the old churchy terms for this part of the sanctuary where everyone is seated. Uh, that old churchy term is the nave, N-A-V-E, the nave. Everyone, you're sitting in the nave. We don't really use that term today <laughs> here. Um, where do you get that word? We get that word from, from the same place we get our word, Navy. It's it's a boating term. The church is seen as a boat. Because the church is a place you receive courage for the storms of life and the courage to go on a rescue mission, go out and get other people in the boat so that they can get courage, so that they can go out and get people in the boat, and on and on and on as we go about this rescue mission. One more term for you. If you've been in our church for a while, you may know that the the regional cluster of CRC churches has a particular name. You want to know the the name of the regional cluster of CRC churches? Shout it out. Classes. Thank you. Classes. C-L-A-S-S-I-S. When I... Came to church three years ago, got introduced to our denomination. I'm like, what is a classis? What is that? What does that mean? Do you know that it's the Latin word for a fleet of ships? That's what a classis is. It's a fleet of ships sent out by Jesus, our commander. And whatever we face, whatever storm is threatening, he is saying, take courage. It is I. I am with you. Do not be afraid. So let's remember as we go out on this rescue mission, be bold and be courageous. Jesus, you are the master of the world, of the wind, of the waves, of the storms, of the sea, of the boat. You are the master. You are the commander of our life, of my life, and every life here. And we pray that as we worship you increasingly, that in our hearts we would be saying, Yes, you are our commander. Our lives belong to you for your purposes, for your good purposes. And as we go through storms, Jesus, we, we know you're with us. Give us courage as we share our faith. Give us courage as we practice sacrificial love to this hurting world. Give us great courage.